We are in a series uh, related to the three books that we're reading as a congregation. Uh, the primary book is the Benedict Option. I've talked about it in service. We've done videos on it. Um, and the sermon series is connected to that. And we're now in the part where we're doing discussions related to it. <clears throat> I address the changes in the culture and the religious community and the implications for us in that context as the culture is becoming more secular and anti-religious and the church is becoming more um, assimilated into that culture. Um, we also looked at the primary institutions of household and congregation and the need for us to be uh, following biblical patterns and commands as we face an uncertain future for the sake of our children and our grandchildren. They are going to be easily assimilated into a culture that is hostile to our faith. Last time we looked at the uh, households, our own households, and considered the meaning of a religious home based on markers, rules, relational rules, and devotional expressions, including ritual items and library that we need to do. And we, I thought we had a, a pretty good discussion in that context, and I hope that we'll continue to, to do those kinds of discussions. So today, I want to briefly address the networking of our households and our families as a community of faith. Uh, beyond the sanctuary, uh, not so much what we do here, but what we do away from here. And then we're going to stop the recording and we'll have a discussion again of what's working and what's not working as we try to connect to one another and to each other's households. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. It'll be kind of the uh, text from which we will uh, operate uh, today. This is the beginning of uh, the Yeshua community, if you will. Um, uh, there's a tendency for Christians to think, you know, this is First Baptist Church Jerusalem meeting. It's not that. Uh, this is, these are uh, Jewish people who are synagogue-oriented, temple-based, and they are now seeing an extension and fulfillment of what the prophets have said in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, who, will, who has ascended and will come back. And so in the context of that being a fulfillment of all Jewish hopes and expectations, they are gathering together and meeting. Uh, this is not people who are saying, we've got to reach, reach the world for Jesus. That kind of mindset is not here. What's here is a mindset of an expecting community awaiting for the rest of the fulfillment to happen. And so we read these words. Uh, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place throughout the, uh, through the uh, apostles. And all those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they began selling their properties and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
These first disciples established a pattern of being community in the Lord. And it was seen even among their fellow Jews. This is more than just belonging to a congregation. It is belonging to one another and being of one mind. There was a sense of the presence of God and the purpose of God, and they took care of each other. And day by day, not Sabbath by Sabbath, day by day, they were found in the temple and in their homes. This passage talks about the sanctuary, the temple where the formal worship and ministry took place. That's what it means by prayers there. But it also talks about their gathering from house to house where community and relational connection um, took place beyond the sanctuary. Now the Disciple Center is an intentional community of faith. And we have worked very hard to talk about life-to-life relational uh, context where we're in each other's lives and in each other's homes beyond the sanctuary. And I believe we've been successful in this and benefited from it because uh, real community is what this faith is about. And to do that, there are several things that we need to do. I want to remind you of those briefly before we talk about the obstacles to doing this. The first is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul's talking to Timothy and as he's establishing the, uh, the churches, and Timothy is functioning to set up elders and to uh, get the congregation uh, operating uh, well, uh, <clears throat> Paul gives him these words. <clears throat> he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. This notion of the congregation is that they had a sense of belonging to each other. Belonging in the sense that they were uh, almost an immediate household. Treating the older generation as fathers and mothers. Treating the same generation as brothers and sisters, the younger one as sons and daughters, or at least nieces and nephews, creates a relational community within the congregation that's not just calling each other brother and sister, but really acting as if we are of the same household in that kind of context. Uh, This covers all believers, but uh, other believers tend to be in our lives more like uncles and aunts and cousins. But the congregation should be more in that immediate uh, context. And this occurs in the sanctuary to some extent, but really should operate beyond the sanctuary. And it requires us to think about relational networking and mapping. So I just want to mention this for a second before I go on to the second point. That is... um, The question is not how often we see each other here, but how often we see each other throughout the week. Now, part of that is uh, opportunity based on the circumstances of our life. So I see some of you in uh, at Cal Baptist because you're there, you're visiting, or you work there, and that kind of thing. I see some of you in counseling sessions. I see some of you in other contexts. You see each other in that same kind of framework. Those gatherings are as much a part of the body gathering 
as this is. This is more formal, but that is really important that we, that we engage in that. And so one of the things you should do is be aware of everyone who's in the congregation and where you might intersect them in your life as friends, as family, as congregation, as co-workers, as neighbors, wherever those kinds of multiple connections take place, those are things that we should be thinking about and reinforcing. Part of our purpose for gathering together and being in each other's lives is for ministering to one another. And for that, I want you to look at Romans chapter 12. And again, I know I'm covering these really quick, but we've been through these so many times it should be just underscoring for you. In Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, the Apostle says, uh, Just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many (coughs) are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we are to exercise them uh, accordingly. What he means is according to our faith maturity. A prophecy according to the proportion of his faith is serving and is serving. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, the leader with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The idea is that we are to... um, continue to be connected to each other. And so he says, be devoted to one another, verse 10, in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimations. Interesting that whenever we're told by the apostles to be of one mind, that one mind is a mind of humility. It's not a doctrinal mind. It's not a theological mind. It's the mind of Christ who humbled himself for the sake and needs of others. And, and every time you see this about having one mind, being of one mind, it's about a humility that we are uh, supposed to have. That humility allows us to minister to one another based on our differing abilities. And so our ministering to one another with our resources with our natural gifts, our spiritual gifts, allows us in humility to maintain a unity of the Spirit in the bond of love. And then Ephesians tells us that that unity and maturity is important. Um, So in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but the first 16 verses talk about this. Paul starts by saying, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling wherewith you have been called in humility, gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because there's one body, one Spirit, one calling, uh, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. But we're different members and we're different giftings. 
And so this is why I waited for this series to be after we did 1 Corinthians and then we're going to do 2 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians theme is maintain unity. Don't let your differences divide you. Don't divide up over people. Don't divide up over gifts. Don't divide up over doctrines. Don't divide up over practices. Stay unified. Those differences are not set to be competition. Those differences are to be pulled together for the benefit of the whole. And, um, and so here he says this same thing. And in the context of that, he says, he's made Jew and Gentile uh, one, and he's not saying the Jew becomes the Gentile, the Gentile becomes the Jew. What he's saying is that these differences now become equal access and a ministry of mutual care and benefit to one another. Unity and maturity are communal actions. You're not able to mature in Christ without community. Believe me, I've tried. Okay? I've always thought the Lone Ranger for Jesus was a great idea. You just can't do it because all of the commandments require another person. And so we're caught into a requirement by God that we are relational. Now I want to ask you a question. So imagine you woke up tomorrow morning and your arm was missing. It would affect your day. And if the next day you woke up and your arm was there but your leg was missing, it would affect your day. And if the next day you woke up and your arms and, and legs were there but you were missing an eye, you'd say, what's going on? That's the problem of the body of Christ. We all think we're part-time believers and we're not part-time believers. The body of Christ and the exercise of our ministry and the being connected to one another needs to be a constant intentional thing, not a, well, it's, I have time, I'll do it now. So part of this notion is to think of ourselves as members of one another, the Bible says, not just members of Christ. And in that sense, we need each other and we need to be able to function regularly and intentionality with intentionality in that context. And this is why the writer to the Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. He's not talking about going to church. He's talking about having fellow believers and family members in that context in your life regularly, constantly, and in a way that fellowships and ministers. That's what that early community was doing. And when they saw that, somebody said, oh, you're missing this? Let me get you that, right? Oh, you didn't bring a jacket? I got one here for you. In other words, they shared things the way family would do. I remember one time being at Disneyland. I turned around and every member of my family was wearing an article of my clothing. That's kind of a family thing. They had just taken my stuff and brought it with them. And that's okay, but that's what family do. Now, a stranger, I go, what are you doing in my clothes, right? But the idea is that when you're with people and you know them and you see they have a need, you're able to minister to that uh, more correctly. And it, we don't have to make this an organizational formal structure. It's part of what we simply do. Um, so... Uh, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, let us consider one another to stimulate one another unto love and good works. And all the more as we see the day approaching, that's the day of Yom Kippur or the return of the Lord and the judgment and the time of the kingdom. Now, what prevents us from doing this? Well, 
I'm going to talk about three things that prevent us. There are probably more. But these are the things I think we have to battle as we try to uh, maintain being a community of faith. First one is busyness. I don't know about you, but I'm busy. I got a lot of things going on in my life. And when I think I've got one problem solved, ten come to visit me, right? Uh, and so uh, it, there's just no time when there's nothing to do. There may be times when I'm doing nothing, but there's never a time when there's nothing to do, right? So we're all busy, and we live in busy time with work, family, events, life cycle, context, and we're pulled in many directions. This issue of time is really about time management and priorities. So if community is last in terms of our priority, I'll do it when I have time, then it's going to be last in terms of our planning. So we have to stop from time to time, and we have to think about our commitments to one another and our entanglements in life and find a way to connect to one another and to balance making community a priority. So one of the issues is simply life gets in the way. We have to watch out for that. The second one is personality. Um, some of us, I, I should say some of you, by nature and temperament, are connectors. Right? You just, you just do that. Okay? And others of us have difficulty maintaining connections because of nature, temperament, or experiential background. I'm thinking of the statement on Facebook this last week. just want you to know that I want to be invited, but I'm not coming. Right? <laughs> I, I understood what that meant when that was put up there. Uh, there are introverts and extroverts naturally, but there are also people who have been damaged in relationships, and so this trying to be community is what I call the dance of the porcupines, where you, you're not sure how close you want to get without getting stabbed, right? And that struggle is an important struggle for us. So I think the idea of self-denial can help those of us who struggle to be relational. Self-denial for the sake of the other, and therefore willing to be vulnerable, willing to attempt, willing to do that. And I think that the idea of humility is helpful for those of you who are connectors to not be judgmental in that process. It's easy for me, why isn't it easy for you? There, there's a need for both self-denial and humility. That's the being of one mind that can help us in this kind of framework. Uh, I do know very early in my uh, healing towards being communal that uh, uh, the Mid-Cities Baptist Church folks really were uh, good at letting me be there and not be there at the same time. Um, letting me just sit in the corner and observe without being pulled into everything, but still acknowledged and encouraged and being told they were glad I was there. Those things help with that process. And so I think we have to, we have to find a way to do that as well. And then the big one, I think, 
for uh, many of us is geography. For most of history, humans lived in small localities. You were born, raised, married, raised your children, and died in the same basic community or a little town or a village. And travel and movement existed, but it was rare. Today, movement is a given. And most of us do not live near family or congregants. And we travel miles and miles to see each other or to gather for a congregation or a family uh, gathering. We have to be aware of location, both physical and institutional, of where our fellow members are. One of the things I'm hoping we'll do is create a little map where we know where the five nearest members are to us so that there's a sense of local gathering as well as congregational gathering. And I know we do that to some extent. Uh, it's an important thing for us to do. Being aware of how we might be able to connect. I'll give you an example, just off the top of my head. Um, uh, we were talking last week about, what's the name of that restaurant? Madelicious? Yeah. yeah, because where you now live is near where we eat a lot. So instead of, well, we don't eat a lot, but we, we're going to eat a lot there because it, it's a great burger with, oh, okay. So, uh, the idea is we don't have to set a formal thing. When we're heading over there, we ought to give you a call. And if you can make it, you can make it. And if you're going there, you give a call. Because we know that that's a place that we have common connections. I think we have to start thinking about those things. Because trying to do things more formally for many of us is becoming more and more problematic. But the kind of drop-in connections are important things. So I'm wanting to encourage us to do some of those things. And that's why I think a relational map of knowing where everybody is and where they work and who's in Orange County at what times. Because sometimes I'm in Orange County and that's my time to connect to people in Orange County and sometimes in Inland Empire. How do we, how do we make that work? So what can we do? I'm winding this thing up here. Now we're already doing this. We have weekly Bible studies in homes. We have occasional gatherings for holy days that people sponsor and holidays that people sponsor. Um, we have showers. We have baptisms. We have other celebrations that take place in various uh, areas. Um, and I think we need to find these natural connections and make use of them. We have the idea of prime disciples uh, I think we need to think about prime uh, households where some people, and we've got people who have done this. The Browns have been uh, big on opening their house for services or baptisms or things like that. We've had people over occasionally at ours. Uh, the, I think that some of us have the ability to make sure the congregation knows if something needs to be done, it can be done here, right? People have opened up their home for, for Bible studies. And the Bible study doesn't mean only people in that geographical area. It may mean if you can make it to this one, this one's open to you, right? Uh, so I think we need to be looking at that. I don't want to create rigid age or geography or other boundaries. That's not what this is about. 
On the other hand, not everybody has to participate in everything, right? Uh, Some of us are old enough to remember that if the church door was open, you were there, okay? And when Linda and I were dating, her family was attending a church that was open every night and had tent meetings most of the summer and and other stuff going I mean there was stuff going on all the time you were literally pulled out of any other uh, reality somewhere between those extremes is what we're trying trying to do this is about fellowship and ministry it's not a competition and it's not a pathway to popularity or influence now i'm impressed and i'm blessed when i hear what you guys are doing as a community and it's a particular value to me right now as our current home situation prevents much of our own participation in these things. That you are doing them and that I see on Facebook that you're gathering for this or that is really uh, meaningful to me. And uh, I would like to see some pictures of it from time to time uh, on the Facebook stuff because that helps me to vicariously uh, feel like uh, I'm part of it. Uh, this season, I'm hoping, will end for us soon. But at some point, each of you are going to have your own constrictions and complications in maintaining community. We, we all have that. That's not a place for us to be judgmental of each other, but in some sense to, to compensate even more towards each other as we can do that. So how do we compensate uh, for these obstacles? Well, one of them, and I'm about to talk about this in the... Uh, Benedict Option videos, is the issue of technology. Technology and social media can be a hazard or a tool for maintaining community. I don't believe that you can create community by social media and technology. Just not possible. It creates shallow relationships and selfish connections. Um, And in some cases increases people's depression because they think everybody's having a great life and they're not. And the truth is these people are just better promoters of what's not going on in their life, right? So so the reality is um, you can't create community by technology. In fact, I think technology can destroy community. On the other hand, I am convinced that when community is well-established, It can be enhanced and in difficult times maintained through the use of technology. So I want to suggest to you what I would call a community continuum. Um, Good, better, best, whatever you want to do in that thing. This is not hard theoretical stuff. I just made a list to try to talk about what... I'm going to start with the things that are the most community building and then move towards the things that will maintain community but don't necessarily build it. So the most community building reality is face-to-face engagement. Activities and conversations that are face-to-face talking about our lives. Now, we try to do that when we go to lunch. We try to do that when people have people over for Shabbat. We do that sometimes in other contexts. They can be very informal. They can just be meeting at Home Depot together or at Starbucks, right? 
uh, you'll probably get out of Home Depot cheaper than Starbucks. Um, I didn't mention Barnes & Noble for a reason, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Or the Guitar Center, right? (laughs) So activities and conversations that have face-to-face contact are our best way of building community. As family, as congregation, as friends. Now, historically, letters... Some of you know what that is. Phone calls, then emails, postings, and texts to individuals can maintain some of that. It doesn't build it, but it can maintain it. And it can bring some enhancements to the face-to-face. In addition, letters, phone calls, emails, posts, and texts to groups are useful. Uh, the kind of conversations. Though I, if you're going to do a text group, don't put me on it, okay? Because when you say, did you eat? And someone says, no, 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 no. I did. Do you want to eat? Yes, no. I get all of those, and my phone goes off ringing, and I don't want that, all right? So don't invite me to that meeting, okay? Um I do one text, I want one answer, and I'm done with you for 24 hours, okay? So we need to know personality in that kind of framework, all right? Huh? Yes, well, there are some that don't, right? So. (laughs) You also want to be careful what group you just said something to because you might say the wrong thing to the wrong group, right? We've had that too. Now, live videos of events when distance and health prevents participation can be helpful. So I know sometimes people aren't able to go. They'd like to see what's going on. Sometimes it can help to just give them a little video clip of of this stuff. You know, wish you were here or glad you're not here or something that you say and, uh, you know, makes the connection in that kind of context. Um, Those things posted also help people to see things that they can't directly participate in. It's one of the reasons we put the sermons up online. It gives you a chance, if you're gone for a couple of weeks, you could catch up on that and know where what everyone else has been uh, thinking about or discussing at least for 15 minutes after the sermon and then it's gone, right? And you can do the same thing. But the idea is we can use technology to um, maintain some of our community Uh, in this busy, geographically spread uh, kind of and personality-prone problems that we have. So, I think we need to be intentional and careful in maintaining the balance of these things. So, let me conclude with this. Um, I think we have to have a mind of humility and unity, reminding ourselves that we belong to one another, and working to establish and maintain our sense and practice of community. Uh, And most of our community has to take place beyond the sanctuary. If, God forbid, persecution should arise and we are not able to gather, or finances hit to a point where we can't maintain a sanctuary, the relationship and the community needs to continue. Um, we've got uh, people in our lives 
who live a long way away from us, but we stay in touch by calls and occasional visits and Facebook and all those kinds of things. And it keeps those relationships uh, vibrant and alive. And I think we need to uh, make use of that. Uh, so what I want us to do today when we do our Q&A and discussion is to talk about this idea of what works for you to stay feeling like you belong. Here, let me tell you what happens a lot of times. We tend to drift from each other. And when you drift from each other, you, if you have any insecurities at all, they rise to the top. And what it feels like, this is the best I can describe it. There's a glass circle right here. Okay? And I'm looking through the glass and seeing you. You're looking through the glass and seeing them. You're looking through the glass and seeing them. Everybody thinks that they're outside the glass and everybody else is inside the glass. And that's not true. And so it's easy to get your feelings, or how come I wasn't invited to that, or how come no one mentioned me? And, and the danger is we have to make sure that we're not creating a divide when there isn't a divide. And the issue of doing this is touch and communication and, and being in touch with each other with some regularity, finding out what's going on in each other's lives, asking about that. Uh, those concerns, even small, little, quick connections maintain that. But long periods of no connection begins to make a person feel like they don't belong or they're not part. And if you're feeling that, I know it's not intentional in the congregation. And if you are not feeling it, at least be aware that there may be some in the congregation who need that connection. I don't want to create structures. I've always hated it when they take attendance in Sunday school, right? And then Monday morning you get a call saying, we missed you yesterday. No, you didn't. You talked about me not being there, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't want to go that way. I don't want to turn it into that. I want us to remember that we are we are. Breathing dirt, we're dust, we're frail, and we need to maintain the relationships with each other. You're going to be closer to some people than you are to others. You're going to have natural connections with some. Some you have to climb a mountain to say hi to them once in a while. That's okay. But the idea is that we, we need to really work hard at a sense of community and maintaining that for ourselves and our children because as the world gets darker and as technology pulls relationships away and as the secular culture begins to uh, draw our kids and our grandkids into that framework, the thing that everybody remembers with fondness are those days in the past when you connected to your cousins or to your uncles or to your grandparents or to somebody uh, or that time at camp where you had those friends. Those relationships are what's critical and that's really what community is about. So I want us to be thinking about that and discuss that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.